Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for right sports news and analysis. Well, uh, as always, uh, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it with a friend. Uh, that that helps us out, helps us get the word out. Uh, if you haven't picked up your copy of the Rice or CUSA season pre- previews, they are uh, ludicrously in-depth. And now we've gotten the endorsement of uh, the ludicri- ludicrously in-depth preview guy himself, Phil Steele, on last week's episode, if you didn't catch that. So um, go listen to that one, pick up your preview. But uh, to finish up our CUSA opponent previews uh we brought on a friend of the show eric henry from underdog dynasty how you doing man carter matt i am doing all right man it is great to be back on the loose podcast you guys as always do a phenomenal job with the podcast and the season preview which i am always a a, it's always a pleasure to contribute to that endeavor it's a huge undertaking that i know matt uh matt does so it's a pleasure to be back on and uh, look man it's about what 24 days as we're recording this on august 4th from football so definitely excited wait to... are we are we playing football in august this year september yeah for you guys especially that is a novel concept right yeah october 24th Oh man, and I'll 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 go plug you real quick. Uh, what you said, and and thank you for for your contributions to the preview. I, I I hope that by after three years of doing this, people have caught on. But this is just not my thoughts of throwing things against the wall on, on Conference USA and, and what I think. Uh, for those listening, I'm talking with with people like Eric and and folks that are on the ground covering these programs day in and day out. So. It, my my ten cents on um, who I think is going to be uh, what what are we we're talking about off air Eric the the backup long snapper at FIU um, those are great but I'm going to go to the people who uh, who know it, know the book so um, loved having you participate in that and I think it turned out all right I, I at least got some sleep afterwards now that it's all put together yeah I, I, like, again I can imagine that is a huge undertaking I remember a couple years back when I did top fifty players in conference USA and just how exhausted I was. I mean, I have never been more exhausted from, you know, writing in my life. So it's just the fact that you take on the task of previewing every single team in conference USA. Of course, you know, anyone who knows the deal, the group of five leagues tend to be the least covered, um, at least extensively from the, you know, the national perspective. You got to come to guys like us who, you know, are around the program. So, you know, the kids deserve their spotlight and it's, it's really a great job what you do with that each year. Is there a Mac preview? Like, what's our competition level? I don't even know. Um. Well, I mean, I guess I'm going to be biased here, of course, as the representative from Underdog Dynasty, and that's, uh, of course, uh, this is this is true. This is true. Y'all are my go-to for everything Conference USA and beyond. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I would give a shout out to our friends over there at Hustle Belt, HustleBelt.com, SB Nation's home for Mac football coverage. Steve Hellick, who does uh, also covers Rice as well, but he uh, contributes to the Mac podcast. So, um. I, I think there are some outlets, but not, again, not the the undertaking that you take as far as getting in depth with every single team. So definitely uh, put yourself over there, Matt. All right. Well, we're, we're calling you up for more. Um, <laughs> uh, we need we need some more in depth. Of course, Carter mentioned we're finishing up opponent Conference USA previews. We've gone through, uh, I guess, almost everybody at this point, right? Right, Carter? I've lost track of time. As uh, far as yeah, I don't opponents. even know. Uh, I think we've hit everybody in conference except for these last two. Yeah, at least that that Rice is going to play. So we're we're calling you up, and we need to hit 
Rice gets two new opponents out of the East this year that they didn't play last year, Western Kentucky and, and Charlotte. So uh, we'll start off with them off the top. You want to flip a coin? Who do you feel uh, more like talking about, Chris Reynolds or Bailey Zappi? Uh, come on, fellas. I don't know if that question was to me or not, but I'm jumping in here. Bailey Zappi. That, Bailey Zappi is the the buzz name across Conference USA Twitter, right? I mean, if you if you don't have a Bailey Zappi hot take, you're not doing CSA Twitter, right? Are correct? <laughs> yes, this is true. And 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 I will I'll go ahead and I'll lay the floor here and and I'll out myself. Okay, I I was the lone media member that picked Western Kentucky to win the East. Okay, and. I did that because I believe in Bailey Zappi. And I asked around and asked people, if, am I crazy? Like, I'm going to turn this ballot in. Am I, am I crazy? And I had three or four people say, I could see it. So apparently I was the only one to put pen to paper. I'm out on my island. But this kid could be special. Listen, um, I'm not going to say that I picked them to win the East. In my ballot that I turned in, I picked them sixth in the league. I actually picked Florida Atlantic to win the East. I think that's a team that was really a year ahead of schedule, especially defensively. Offensively, they had their struggles and you know, talk about COVID and all the things that came up there. And But mainly that was a quarterback play for them. And the fact that they picked up Nikosi Perry, I think if he could even perform to the, uh, you know, a, a, be an average conference USA quarterback, which by all you know, intents and purposes, I think he'll be above average at best, at worst, excuse me, that FAU be in good shape. But to Western Kentucky, here is the reason why I am on the Bailey Zappi hype train. And, you know, there are people who give the, the arguments, oh, he came from Houston Baptist. Oh, they didn't play anybody. Oh, you know, he, the, he threw for 500 yards against North Texas. That wasn't a good defense or against Texas Tech. And the other, okay, all those things, if you want to view them through that prism, that is fine. These are the arguments that I would make in favor of Bailey Zappi. A, he was playing for a Houston Baptist team that, quite frankly, was abysmal prior to him getting there. You look at Vic Sheely's record prior to the 2018 year. I believe the, uh, the, the 2017 season, they were 1-11, and 11, a pair of four-win seasons and a three-win season prior. And that was at, you know, in the Southland Conference, that, quite frankly, ain't exactly world beaters. Bailey Zappi gets there. Offensive coordinator Zach Kitley gets there. They implement the air raid. All of a sudden... They're competing against Conference USA opponents. And, you know, I'm not saying that, Grant, they didn't beat anybody, but they're in competition with UTEP. They're in competition with North Texas, in competition with Louisiana Tech. You know, they push Texas Tech. Again, guys, we're not talking about some FCS powerhouse here. We're talking about an FCS team that was bad. So that's point one. Point two he was playing with FCS talent. Everyone who makes the argument that against Bailey Zappi seems to ignore the fact that he is going to level up. He's going to play with guys who, for whatever you know level of talent you want to assign, FBS versus FCS, if you just look at it on paper, he's going to be playing with better talent around him. Point three, and I made it in my, my intro, they're not asking him, if I were going to make this move, Carter and Matt, I would do it exactly the way that Tyson Hilton did. He said, hey, we're going to buy all in. He was recently named the starter. I believe it was yesterday. Western yeah, Texas had their, right, had their media day. They named him the starter. They were, they were, what were they going to do? Ask the third string quarterback who wasn't recruited to play the air raid to come in and play the air raid? That wasn't going to happen. But they made the move where they brought in his offensive coordinator. And from if you ask Tyson Hilton, Matt, I know you were on the call for media days. 
it was actually interesting to hear the sequence of events. Tyson Helton said that it was the offensive coordinator who got there first, and then they picked up Bailey Zappi. Yeah, okay. I mean, fine. I'll buy that. But the point is, they're all in. You're going to run the offense that he ran. You got the QB coach and coordinator that he had. You bring in two of his receivers in the Stearns Twins. I just don't see how, if you're going to commit to this move, they couldn't have done it any better. So I am buying, in terms of the Bailey Zappi um, aspect of this, I'm buying wholesale. And then listen, they bring back D'Angelo Malone. And I was shocked that he did not choose to go pro because you look at his, his career in Conference USA and it's like, what else does he have left to prove? Yes, the numbers were down last year from the 2019 year. But I mean, again, anyone can make the argument that you look at all the circumstances around Western Kentucky, 2020 football season, COVID, this, that, and the other. The dude was triple teamed a lot of times. You can make the argument that, all right, you know, it's time for his college career to just end and you don't go make some money in the NFL. But he chose to come back and that was surprising. He is, was my pick for defensive player of the year in terms of the preseason. So they brought, they still have D'Angelo Malone. They still have Juwan Jones. Antoine Kincaid is back. Sure, they did lose something, what, 16, 17 players to the transfer portal. And of course, they went transfer portal heavy in terms of bringing players in. But I just think all in all, there is a recipe for success. Now, am I buying them to win the East? Like I said, I'm squarely in the Florida Atlantic bandwagon. But it would not shock me if Western Kentucky hit the ground running and snuck up on some people. Yeah, like you mentioned, and, and it's interesting with Conference USA being so tight, the top to bottom. We, we've talked about this ad nauseum as we've gone through our previews. Like the, the, the you go from from UAB down to maybe the rung above UTEP, maybe <laughs> FIU. Like you're talking like a gap of you know not that far when you compare against you know where they were last year. And yeah, you have D'Angelo Malone, like you said, who is the best defensive player in Conference USA from from my book. And Bailey Zappi, who could be the best offensive player, and you're telling me that those two guys can't win some football games. I, I'm just, I'm just saying it, it's gonna, and they get FAU in at home, I believe. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, yeah, I, I mean, know. the way I've been saying it is, and and Eric, you essentially gave the detailed version of this, but like Zappi lit up half of CUSA last year when he was at Houston Baptist. And so now you're upgrading the talent around him and keeping him in the same system, essentially. So, like, what what is the credible argument that he is not going to do it again this year other than just, like, I don't know, variance? Yeah, I mean, if... Oh, no, go ahead, Carter, I'm sorry. No, it was me. I was just saying, it's it's going to be fun, and I already have my popcorn ready. <laughs> uh, I, just, uh, I just wish they weren't playing rice. <laughs> Uh, all I was going to add to that and say, I mean, I just couldn't agree with you more. When you look at it in terms of the way they set it up, there's no reason to think that that won't transfer over. And then you got to love the quote that Zach Kittley had in his introductory press conference. He said that Tyson Helton brought me here. I light up the scoreboard. I'm going to do just that. So this should be really fun to watch. And I guess here's the here's the question. And I know so FAU from a talent perspective is above Western Kentucky and has been for at least since Lane was there, um, if not further. So FAU has the, has that uh, talent edge. Marshall has the talent edge, I, I would argue, as well, just from the, the players in that program. Uh, now, Marshall is, is breaking in the new head coach, uh, and FAU is breaking in, like you said, a, a new quarterback. 
Um, so those are the question marks there. But both of those programs are two of the best, what call it, five defenses in Conference USA. Uh, and so that's the part where I know Western Kentucky is lacking. Do you, do you kind of have the feeling that they have enough pieces? You mentioned D'Angelo Malone on the line and Antoine Kincaid in the secondary. Those are probably the two guys. Uh, are there enough pieces there to be average? Because I think if you can be average with a top three offense, that that might be enough. I will say this because it's an interesting point you raise, and you know I look at Juwan Jones who's back as well. Uh, memory serves correct, he should be on on the other side of the other defensive yeah. end there, who's really a very solid defensive end. I had a talk with a Conference USA assistant who a told me that they felt that Jones is very underrated in terms of not necessarily getting the, the shine that he deserved playing you know, on the side of Malone, but B, a loss that I think is really going to hurt them is Ricky Barber, who went to UCF, because I, I had that same assistant say to me that Ricky Barber may have been the top interior defensive lineman that they faced all year. And for a kid who was a redshirt freshman coming in there and you know was named to the Phil Steele team and Conference USA honorable mention, especially at defensive tackle, if you can get that kind of that, that kind of presence inside to pair with the outside uh, defensive ends, that would have been huge. Um, I I do think though, just when you when you look at the two guys on the outside and Antoine Kincaid, I think that's enough to be average. Now another guy who they lost, and I didn't even realize that he stayed in conference till yesterday. They lost Roger Cray, and that may be a name that most Conference USA casual fans don't know, but he is just one of those solid CUSA starting corners. A guy who's going to be a three-year starter. He's only 5'9", 170, but he played well above his size. I just got a chance to see him play live when I covered the FIU game at Western Kentucky. And he had a pick six where he just made a huge break on the ball. And again, I, I bring his size up for a reason, 5'9", 170. He was covering former five-star recruit for University of Georgia, Jeremiah Holloman, who's all of 6'2", 210, and just ate him up, you know, so... Little losses like that you do think will have an impact. Uh, not having a Devin Key, of course, you know, that's uh, certainly huge as well. But I do think when you just look at the sum of all their parts, there is enough to be average. But I will say this, you do have to look at one thing with the air raid. And you got to remember, right, the air raid, I don't necessarily know that I want to go into a nuanced explanation, but. Oh, that's what we're here for. <laughs> okay. As deep as you want to go. Let's, oh. let's get into it. Let's do it. Oh. Okay, so I think a lot of people confuse air raid and think you're chucking the ball 25, 30 yards downfield each play. That's not it. The air raid is designed where you have a lot of predetermined throws, and it's really predicated on the receiver reading X from the defender and saying, all right, uh, if this defender gives me this, then I'm going to run this route, and you have a lot of predetermined throws, right? So it's to set up four yards, five yards, four yards, five yards, and then set up your deep throw. The flip side to that is this, right? You know, if you're not running the ball, if you're using your short passing game as your rushing attack, that could result in a lot of three and outs. And you don't necessarily want to put a defense that, again, excuse me, when you look at the sum of all their parts and they're trying to bring in new players all the way around as they're trying to gel, you know, then you kind of walk a fine line, right? So that could be a storyline to keep an eye on. But all things considered, I would feel a little more concerned if this were a new quarterback running that air raid offense. But we're talking again, someone who's thrown for over 10,000 yards in that system has run it as efficiently as any quarterback 
incomfortable over his career. So I don't think it'll be an issue, but I do think the storyline to keep an eye on in the sense that when you look at their running game, they lost Gage Walker, which that one surprised me. I thought Gage Walker would take advantage of the extra year. Uh, I'm biased, of course, being a Tampa native. Gage Walker's from Tampa East Bay. Uh, spent the first two years of his career as a defensive back to switch over to running back and had a lot of success. I thought he would have been a great fit to come back for another year, but he chose to, um, you know, move on into his professional uh, career. I'm not sure if, if he's in a camp or not, but I know they have Adam Cofield, the kid from North Dakota State, who, you know, played a little bit for that fine program where they win three straight national championships at the, at the, uh, FCS level or something to that effect. So, um, they have him coming in, but, We'll have to see what that running game is going to be like, because if they're going to use the short passing game, that's, it's going to depend on those Stearns twins, you know, guys who are 5'9", 5'10", a buck 75, a buck 80, to, you know, control the slot, win their matchups, and move the chains. Because we all know, you go to a, you go three and out, and, you know, you take off, what, 25, 30, 35 seconds off the clock, you're not giving your defense much rest. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point, and, and that kind of goes to what we've seen. What's been the most successful air raid team in in recent history? I can think of lots of, like, how much, what did Washington State win the year before uh, Mike Leach left? Did they win nine games? Ten games? Uh, that one, the one really good yeah. year with... Um... Oh, I spike on his name. Gar- Minshew. Um, Gardner Minshew. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that was probably, that's probably the, the peak of the air raid, right? And they were runners up, I believe. In, well, it's, fr- it's tricky to talk about and, and not to lead us on another uh, schematic diversion here because I don't know about, and, and Eric, you may have more insight on this, but I don't know what particular flavor of air raid uh, Houston Baptist and I guess now Western Kentucky runs because, uh, it's it's a bit it's a bit misleading to talk about like okay Lincoln Riley is like an air raid coach uh you know um uh Cliff Kingsbury is quote unquote an air raid coach but what those guys do is not what like Mike Leach does Mike Leach does he is the only guy that runs that like pure air raid that he and and how Mummy came up with it Iowa Wesleyan in the nineties like yeah the zero that, run in that system that that. Though they have about four passing plays, literally, there's about there's about four or five basic concepts that are in the book, and that's all they run, and they just rep it about ten thousand times. Everybody else pretty much has a lot more variation than counters and constraints and stuff, and they just build their passing game around those concepts. It's not strictly that 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 limited that uh you know that predetermined set. So I will be curious to see what we see in terms of like the particulars of that scheme at Western Kentucky. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you mentioned Lincoln Riley and he he does a very good job of incorporating that running scheme into uh, how they throw the football. GT uh, counter, baby. GT counter. Yeah. And, and and Jakari Moses is a guy that I heard had a had a very, very, very productive spring and he's had some injuries that have kind of kept him off the field. So I, for this offense to work with a quarterback that talented and, and the the synergy of the OC and the familiarity there, I don't think you you don't need a, a you know, a top flight uh, running back to make it happen. If you have a good one, I think that might be enough. And I, I think Jakari Moses is that. Um he might, you know, Adam Cofield, he was kind of a role guy uh, at North Dakota State. Um, but, you know, they have some pieces. It'll be interesting. It, it's going to come down to 
they're going to score points. Have no doubt there. It's going to come down to, like you mentioned, Eric, how much can that defense, um, you know, hang on um, and what situations they're going to get put in. But they're not going to be boring. The uh, the matchup between Western Kentucky and Rice um, has changed a lot since the end of the, the 2020 season. Going to be a bit more fireworks. No, you're you're right. I think it's a great point you make about Jakar and Moses. I, I completely forgot that he's back. He's been a solid, you know, uh, uh, in terms of conference USA talent. Just someone who was banged up, but certainly was talented. And just you know, to kind of put a cap on the the air raid discussion, Kitley comes from the Cliff Kingsbury tree. He did coach um, under Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, so oh, okay. that should kind yeah. of give you a, an idea as to what you know he'll bring to the table with air raid. Yeah, and, and Cliff is like a little closer to, obviously not in the, he's obviously diversified more in the NFL, but I know he's like a little bit closer to Leach than, say, like a Lincoln Riley, for instance, so. Graham Harrell. <laughs> yeah. Where, is he still at USC? Yeah. yeah Somehow they held on to him. <laughs> uh, the pandemic, I lost track of everyone and everything. Clay, Clay Helton bafflingly still in that job oh my goodness all right um before we get down another rabbit hole um <laughs> let's uh w- one more kind of wrapping up western kentucky before we jump uh you know we heard tyson helton you know talk a a big game at, at media days and he was pretty confident about what they were installing uh, what is kind of in your view eric what is success look like for for western kentucky because they they appeared to be on the upswing in his first year and then last year with with covid and the challenges they had from the canceled games they were one of those programs that just said it just kind of felt like a not a lost year but it's it's hard to hold too much of that against them no that's a fair point but when you ask me in terms of what is going to measure success for them well i'm going to tell you this it again goes back to them being all in on this year. You look at what they did in terms of high school recruiting; it wasn't much. Did, it wasn't, did they? It, it was. It, it, it was. <laughs> it was three. It was three kids. <laughs> it was three kids, and the rest were transferred. So is it only three? Only three. Holy moly! They're taking the Texas State version. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. So, so. If that is the definition of we are all in on winning now, I don't know what is. So when you ask me what is success, and while I didn't pick them to win the East, I did, like I said, have them at least sixth uh, overall in the conference. But I, they're going to need eight wins, nine wins to at least kind of justify this move. Now, I, I don't have the numbers directly offhand. Excuse me, I don't have the numbers directly offhand in terms of how many kids that they brought in who have more than one year of eligibility. I want to say I saw a number that it was eight, but do not. There was a that. good, there was several. Right, right. And and please let me go and credit Jared McDonald, the great writer there for the, uh, uh, one, uh, Bowling Green Daily News. There we go. Remember the name of the publication there. But yeah, I want to say it was something like eight or nine, right? So at least they're not getting a bunch of one and done. But with that being said, you're loading your team up veteran laden, upperclassmen heavy, got to win now. got to win now. It, it, there's no two ways about it. So when you ask me about this year, I think it has to be, I mean, I'll toss it back to you guys, but anything less than a 
second place finish in CUSA? I mean, because you can't really finish third and think you're going to get more than seven wins. So anything less than a second place finish, and you're going to wonder, was the the mortgage of of, of you know potential future necessarily worth the 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 you know high risk high reward type deal? I think it's interesting because they their non conference slate is is tough. They're at Army. They get Indiana and Michigan State. So that's that's rough for just total win total. But their conference slate sets up pretty interesting because UTSA, Old Dominion, FIU, Charlotte, Middle. Uh, that's one team last year that had a winning record or played. <laughs> um, and then they close at Rice, FAU, and at Marshall. So you're talking the two presumptive best teams in the East and a Rice team that is going to be better than last year and upset Marshall at Marshall last year on the road. So you would think that there's that while that might not be the top team in the West, it's a team that you would tread more lightly on than you would against maybe a middle Tennessee on the road. So it's very possible that we get into November and Western Kentucky still doesn't know if they've had a successful season or not. I mean, we'll see, right? <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't realize you were talking about back. No, I, mean, I, guess, I, yeah. I was musing. I just, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. They, they're going to get to the the end of the year, and they're going to be six and three, seven, six, six and four, seven and whatever. The, the, what the math? They're going to have two two games left against FAU and Marshall, and that will determine whether or not this was a good year. Those two games. I mean, is that is that oversimplifying? <sighs> Um, yes and no. I, I think, I think it's a fair point. Here's what I'm going to say somewhat no. Um, are we 100% sure? And again, I, maybe I missed, you know, this part of the previous session. Are we 100% sure we're going to get out of Marshall? No, I'm not. No. <laughs> that's, that's why I, I could not pick them to win the East. So I, I I saw a young and this is a tangent, but I saw a young quarterback who has promise but imploded um, in a favorable situation, and a brand new head coach, which are two things that you might have all the pieces right, but those are two very important pieces that you have to mix on the fly. You got to do it on the field. So I'm I think Marshall's going to be good, but I I don't know how good. So yeah, so that's the only reason I throw it out there. Since that, you know, if we're not really hundred percent sure we're gonna get out of Marshall, then you can almost say it's wide open, right? So then, you know, I, I guess I'm throwing another month wrench in, into kind of that equation of what necessarily may or may not define success. But it'll definitely be interesting to watch, that's for sure. Okay, then should we bounce over to Charlotte? Because they had I, I mentioned Western Kentucky, they actually got a good amount of games in, all things considered. Charlotte only played six. When I go and look at these win totals and I see people who played 10, 11, 12 games last year, I was like, what in the world? You you can you can relate to this. FIU got in five. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So this uh, maybe that was more normative of a season for half of us. But yeah. uh, Charlotte, I should have this numbers in front of me. I think they had seven or eight cancellations. I think the they had was seven. I think it was yeah. seven. Jeez. Yeah. And, and, I, so, and I thought like Rice's, what, like three in a row were bad, but ugh. I mean, you had to feel for Charlotte 
just I remember there were a couple games last year where they legit were what you know forty eight hours, twenty four hours from playing. I think Coach Healy mentioned two or three, yeah, yeah, mentioned I mentioned on not the podcast on media day that they had one game. What was it, Middle Tennessee, where they were heading to the airport? What if they're going to play? And that's just listen. If there's one thing I will give all of these head coaches credit, it is I think in specificity Will Healy and Butch Davis. Trying to convince 18 to 22 year old to just get up and go to class is a uh, undertaking in itself, <laughs> you know, let alone trying to get them to buy in each time. Like, hey, we need you to stay in. We need you to try to follow the COVID protocols. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. And you're talking about two schools. I know, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, it's Charlotte, but I'll just throw FIU in there. Yeah. No disrespect to Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I've been to Bowling Green, Kentucky. I can say this. Same with Murfreesboro. I uh, show Miami a little bit more going on there, right? A little bit more of a distraction. I, I, I have a uh, side note here, boys. I, in my, in my travels, I always make the mistake of ordering the ethnic food when I'm in Bowling Green or Murfreesboro. So just ordering a pizza, calling it a day. Mm. Uh, yeah, man, it's not, it's not the best choice. So. Wait, so what, what's the go-to? It, uh, it ain't, it ain't like uh, Houston or Miami. Correct. What's the go-to what? So what's the go-to dish in, in Murphy's, bro? We got to know. <laughs> well, from now on, I know. I didn't Pizza. Pizza <laughs> right? My issue, I did it. I, so I did it in, in Lynchburg, covering uh, FIU at Liberty. And then I also did it uh, in Bowling or in Murfreesboro. Bowling Green, it was different because last year was COVID, so not much else was open. But I ordered like Thai food and then Indian food. Yeah, it just it just wasn't the brightest of choices in, in, in those cities. <laughs> then and you go that, sit in the press box. Yeah, that's that's a choice. <laughs> well, well, the, the thing is, the thing is, I would do it after the game. I'd be like, man, okay. I'm exhausted. You know, I'm, yeah, you know, this was a yeah. press box. Yeah, I'm like, man, I'm exhausted. I'm starving. I'd order it, and then I was like, oh man, that was a poor choice. Which, listen, I don't know how much time we had, but that could lead me into a story about trying to catch an Uber in Lynchburg. I don't know if I got sixty seconds of that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's where we're at, right? <laughs> All right, so I'll try to sum this one up really quick, right? So, Lynchburg, Virginia, not necessarily the biggest town in the world. I uh, You got to catch a flight. You, you do the flight to Charlotte, and then you go from Charlotte to Lynchburg, right? So, Lynchburg, a one-gate airport, only has one destination. So, my flight out to Charlotte was like 7.45 the next morning, and I'm like, all right, you know, I'll wake up around 5-something. Address. It's a one-day airport. Now I got to worry about going through security. I just order an Uber. Yeah, boys. Woke up Sunday morning and uh, there were no Ubers in the area. So I'm like, all right, I'll 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 call a taxi. Um, call the taxi service and they say, after you know, fighting off a laugh. Yeah, in order to get a taxi here on a Sunday, you got to order that three days out in advance. So now I'm wondering to myself. Am I gonna have to walk to the airport in the middle of the dark there on Lynchburg, Virginia, catch this flight? So I start making the trek because I stopped at the lobby and they're like, yeah, man, we can't help you. We don't even have a show or anything like that. So I start making the trek in the dark, thinking like, all right, I think I can get there in an hour and hopefully that'll be enough time. And luckily by the, you know, luck of, of, of the Irish, I, uh, I found a hit from the one kid who drives Uber in Lynchburg on, on Sundays, you know, before, uh, before noon. And he got to the airport. So listen, man, you know, we can, I can do an entire podcast on, on my adventures in the, in the four years I've been covering CUSA football and some of the, the destinations. So, uh, anyhow, Charlotte. Yeah. I think that's where we're. <laughs> well, 
as a uh, wrapping up your aside, it's interesting. Conference USA has just an interesting collection of college towns and non-college towns because you, you got Miami and Houston in there, right? And then you have Murfreesboro and you know Bowling Green. Uh, you, I guess El Paso's semi-big, but you, you just got an interesting collection of Boca Raton. There you go. Just the <laughs> all, all all shapes and sizes. <laughs> Definitely a, a unique uh, cacophony of, uh, of CBS All right. Uh, yes, Charlotte. So well, the Niners. Yeah. Niners. Uh, unpack this with me because a year ago, I I don't remember whose podcast we were on, yours or mine or somebody else's or wherever, but w- we talked about Will Healy, and Will Healy was on the, uh, you know, we mentioned him earlier, Graham Harrell uh, Express. Or I guess he was the Seth Luttrell Express for a while. Of he's that rising hotshot young coach who's going to take the world by storm, and he's not going to be here very long because he's going to go be off coaching, you know, North Carolina or something like that. That that's where Will Healy was. It felt like a year ago he gets his team to the Bahamas, uh, club lit, everything is going well, and then 2020 happens, and I, I'm not going to say that they Charlotte fell off a cliff, but the, it just it, it felt like one of those everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And and so now we're kind of set picking up the pieces with with uh, how good of a coach do we do we think Will Healy is and, and where do we think the 49ers are as a program after kind of two very different seasons? So it's pretty interesting, right? I'm going to tackle the first question when you say how good of a coach is Will Healy. You got to remember that, A, he's only 36 years old. B, he only has, what, seven? Oh, excuse me, five. Five. I just did uh, a quick math there. Uh, five mm-hmm. seasons as a head coach. 0 and 11, Austin P. 8 and 4, then 5 and 6. Gets the Charlotte job, 7 and 6, 2 and 4. So if you want to make a, a, an assessment of a guy who has a career record of 22 and 31, let's remember that, you can draw some questions. Now, in, in you know, to provide full context, Austin P was a bleep show when he took over, right? So the fact that he got eight wins out of that was, you know, damn near a miracle. So fast forward, bring all the way around to Charlotte 2020. I think you have to assess them through the prison. Truly, a lot of coaches will talk about a COVID year, COVID year, COVID year. This is what affected my team, so on and so forth. There are two teams that can make that argument again. It's Charlotte and FIU. And specificity to the Niners, they couldn't string together two games. You probably had trouble stringing together two practices. I know plenty of teams who had those issues last year. And then you got to look at injuries. I'm very curious to know what your guys' thoughts, assessments are on Chris Reynolds. Listen, for everything that Chris Reynolds is, uh, Matt, you were on the call. I found this quote telling, and I don't necessarily think that Will Healy meant it as a slight, but he said it how he said it. And forgive me for not being able to quote him verbatim, but he said that Chris Reynolds is our starting quarterback, but he also said, we've been here, you know, and we're not going our third year. And and we've brought in guys, you know, each year to kind of compete with him. Did, Matt, do you remember that quote? Yeah, okay. and, it, and it, it ended with something like, like, but it's July. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not something you say if you think you're, you know, you got, you know, Bailey Zappi. <laughs> like Tyson Helton didn't say, you know, Tyson or Bailey Zappi is our starting quarterback, but but it's July. It's like the uh, the head coach's version of the athletic director giving the vote of confidence. <laughs> it is exact. It's exactly what it is. 
Exactly. So to bring it around to the point with Chris Reynolds, listen, you've got to respect the kid, right? He's all of 5'10", above 95, worked his way from a seven-stringer, gutsy. Is he only 5'10"? I've I've stood uh, I've I haven't stood next to him, but I've I, seen him on the field. He's five ten. Wow, I did not realize he was that not tall. So he's listed at six two, I assume. Then if he's actually five ten, <laughs> I think he might be listed at six, but he's five ten. Yeah. Um. Uh. But but yeah. Anyhow, um, not the biggest kid in the world. Had to work his way up. Seven stringer. You know, five eleven. Listed at five eleven. So you, you, there you go. Right. Um, they brought in Brett Keane from USF, who, for all intents and purposes, I had a chance to see a lot of Brett Keane, you know, being here in Florida, and he just couldn't beat out some of the quarterbacks they had there, but he was brought in to be the guy. Didn't happen, and now Brett Keane ends up taking, you know, a grad assistant job a year later, and now is at a Dream U over there at Independence Community College, right? So it goes to show you, if you bring in someone, Chris Reynolds found a way to beat him out. Last year, uh, Reynolds earned a job, and this year they, they bring in James Foster. I, I make that point, guys, because I like Chris Reynolds as a player. I think he is a gutsy, solid Conference USA starting quarterback. And last year, people don't realize that he was injured. He did get banged up in the App State game for a guy who's, you know, uh, rather you know, vertically challenged and not the biggest guy in the world and is now, quite frankly, a, you know, a, a cannon for an arm. Probably not great to deal with shoulder issues. Um, especially, and, and another thing about Chris Reynolds is, you know, he doesn't even have the Asher O'Hara type of uh, uh, elusiveness or someone's going to outrun anybody, right? You know, like, he's going to get his five, six yards and get down. Um, I wonder, I mean, it's in the form of a question for you guys, what limitations he has? Like, is the best that Chris Reynolds is going to give you that 2019, and then from there you're just kind of putting together bits and pieces? I don't know, because I've been a huge proponent of saying, if Victor Tucker played with a Chris Robinson, a James Morgan, you know, guys like that. Big Tucker is an 1,100-yard guy each year. So definitely curious your guys' thoughts on that before I can kind of go into the rest of the team. Well, I I, I think I'd start – I think it's interesting. I was I was talking with Hunter Bailey, who who covers Charlotte and, and with you guys at, at, at Underdog, and I was asking him his take on the quarterback battle and kind of after spring. And his assessment was, uh, I think – he said, I think Chris Reynolds is still the guy. And he would bet that Chris Reynolds is the guy who takes the first snap. But he was not very confident that Chris Reynolds would be taking the last snap of the season. Um, and I think what we've seen from from Chris Reynolds so far at Charlotte, that he's he is a, I think you said it, he's a, a competent Conference USA quarterback. Uh, and when you surround him, and they've had some playmakers on offense at Charlotte that kind of have helped him out a lot. When you have Victor Tucker to throw to, it makes everything a lot easier. Uh, Benny LeMay, uh, man, <laughs> make, makes you look like a lot better quarterback when you can turn around and, and hand it off to him. Uh, so I, I don't know if he has has the ceiling of a, a guy like James Foster, a bit more mobile blue chip guy from, from Texas A&M. You know, one of the I, I've lost track of how many power five quarterbacks have transferred in the quarterback <laughs> at, into the conference at this point. So I I don't know. I mean, if if, if Chris Reynolds is 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 so so, uh, you know who he is. He's been here long enough that I, I could see Healy in need of a smart going somewhere else. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not. I, I don't know. 
that's kind of my feeling as well. And, you know, Hunter's done a great job covering the team for us with the with UDD. But that's the feeling I get is that you kind of know at best what you have with Chris Reynolds, right? Whereas James Foster is that shiny new toy that you don't really know what you have until you open it up and, you, you know, you, you put to use a couple times, right? Clearly, he's got the physical tool. If, if Chris Reynolds, and he's got to have a, you know, uh, we will know what's going to happen with that situation week one. They welcome Duke to Jerry Richardson Stadium, a Duke team that, quite frankly, in my opinion, is pretty beatable. If Chris Reynolds doesn't get out to a great start, then there's all the justification in the world to go to James Foster. So by the time the Rice game rolls around, you could be looking at an entirely different offense overall. I mean, again, not to say that Chris Reynolds isn't mobile, but James Foster's a different level of mobile than Chris Reynolds. And, you know, I'll kind of transition to some of the rest of the offense and talk about the guys they've had. Benny LeMay was one of my favorite players in Conference USA overall. I mean, that kid was just a mm-hmm. stud. Uh, it, it's kind of, uh, it was, it would kind of hurt me to watch him, you know, the fact he ran with like a 4-8-40 because you just felt like he was an NFL running back. I guess you kind of that didn't have the speed to really, you know, translate to the next level, but they've had guys, uh, they have a nice tight end in Taylor Thompson as well, who's a, uh, uh, a really nice kid, you know, as a, as a true freshman last year, made some plays for him. So that's another guy to keep an eye on. But when you look at the receivers, uh, Vic Tucker, and again, Matt, you were on the call. Being here in Florida, I'm sorry, I, I, I gotta love, um, Vic Tucker's quote when Hunter, and I actually, I, I gotta jump in here and take a little credit because I texted Hunter to ask his question, um, in terms of, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm showboating here, um, in terms of, you know, who were some of the challenging defensive backs? And Vic Tucker, in all of his Miami swag, said, none of them good to me. I love, like, that to me is the level of confidence that, I mean, Vic Tucker, like I said, if, if you put him with a, a more proficient passing quarterback, that is a kid who is a consistent thousand-yard receiver. But they also have, you know, some other depth there in terms of guys, you know, um, out there like Cam Dollar and Tyler Ringwood. We're back. So let's we'll take a look at as far as the weapons of offense are there. I think up front, the offensive line is going to be interesting to watch. Um, they've kind of shifted some guys around. We're going to have to see what's going to happen. Dimitri Emanuel is the the veteran uh, with that group. I think it's Dejan Rousseau who's, who's kind of uh, shifting between center and guard as well. So let's see what happens. But the big question is going to be on defense. In, in my mind, how, however, you know, how good Charlotte's going to be this year is going to depend on, of course, Chris Reynolds, but the defense. They lose Ben DeLuca. The guy who's really going to, you know, make everything go is going to be Tyler Murray. And I like him, a kid who, you know, went from playing receiver to middle linebacker from high school and then at Troy. And, and now, you know, one of the, the better linebackers. At least when you look at the numbers last year, 48 tackles, two interceptions, was really good at coverage because they can only played six games. But that's secondary, man. That That's going to be a, something else that you got to keep an eye on as well. So, uh, you know, guys like Lance McMillan, um, you know, other guys back there. So we'll have to see what happens. And and especially up front with the pass rushers. Well, Marquise Watts is someone who I thought would have a much better year. Again, only six games, but I think he had like eight or nine tackle, you know, banged up a little bit. So we're interested to see what happens there. But in terms of Charlotte, yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to Chris Reynolds. It's going to come down to can they get some guys to emerge on defense. But they have the pieces on offense. Even when you look at the running backs, right? They lost Aaron McAllister, but they have a, a they've recruited well to position. They have a a three-star kid in Calvin Camp, or Elijah Turner, who's, who's probably the most veteran of the backs. I believe he's a redshirt junior, is backed up for the past few years. So we'll see what happens there. But 
Um, or excuse me, I, I got my, my name's uh, around there. Calvin Camp has moved back into the last year. Elijah Turner is a three star recruit. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, um, I, I think they're, they're, it's fair to say there are a lot more question marks than answers. And you can even look that in specificity with Will Healy, as I mentioned in the record. Yeah, and I think one one guy that you didn't mention, Tyreek Harris in there at defensive end, uh, was a, a three three year starter, or I guess four year starter, three three time captain uh, at defensive end, and and kind of had banged up with injuries, and then 2020 was kind of a, a wash. You lose him and Ben DeLuca, and that's something that I think is kind of underrated. The the talent, like the defense, was kind of banged up and and, and not great when they were on the field last year, and you lose two players of, of their caliber who, who were, were the captains and led this team. You're starting over. You picked up a bunch of transfers. You just, it, it, I can kind of buy into uh, in Rice's, uh, you know, just to, to make a comparison from in Houston, Rice lost Blaze Aldridge. They lost one guy and they're keeping everybody else. So I, that, that loss, I, I, I can kind of make the case for how they can overcome that because the rest of the pieces are there. You could argue that that Charlotte's losing their two most important defenders and then some, and the defense wasn't very good to begin with. So I, it, it just makes me very, very uncertain. Uh, I think that the, the, one of the, what they go, two, two and four last year? Four. Yeah, yeah, two and four. And, and the two games they won, they had shootout victories over North Texas and UTEP. And, and I, that's... If you got Bailey Zappi, you can do that, but maybe, maybe <laughs> all aboard the Bailey Zappi train. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. And, and I think they're going to be better than they were. Just getting, knowing you're going to play football on Saturday has to help, like for sure. But it, they're one of those teams that I, I don't know what to do with them. I'm. I, 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 I think they could be sixth in the East. I think they could maybe get up to third if everything breaks right. I just I just don't know. It's interesting. The the East. You, you mentioned Conference USA up, 2021. <laughs> I just don't know. There's your slogan. <laughs> Can we cut the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Instead of instead of uh, the CUSA way, yearly it should be Conference USA. We just don't know. <laughs> Somebody get Judy on the phone. However long Conference USA is in existence, um, oh man, that, that we could we could go for a while on that. But um, I do do want to get you out on on a couple things. Uh, first off, uh, anybody else that we we kind of we we talked a little bit about, about Zappy, uh, D'Angelo Malone, uh, bigger picture, the East, the West, uh, kind of your your kind of top guys for for Conference MVP. And then maybe offensive, defensive, MVP, or any any names that we haven't hit yet that could be in that mix. Well, okay. Um, first, I'm going to show my bias here. I'm going to go to FIU. Devonte Price. Allow me, if you fine gentlemen will uh, <laughs> don't mind, to make the case for Devonte Price. Can Can I interrupt real quick? No. Were you the one that Were you Were you the one that fed him the question at at, at media days? He gave the same answer. That, uh, that was the best running back in Conference USA. Me, <laughs> Devonte did that. That that was me. Uh, and and in an effort of full disclosure, I I, I kind of teed him up on that one because I knew you know, having uh, spoken to Devonte over the past you know year or so that that one was coming. Um, I'll, I'll quickly make the case, right? In all seriousness, right? Like I absolutely respect Sincere McCormick as 
the best back in the league, right? He's, he's earned that that right over his, his play over, um, you know, his career in Conference USA. We can't underestimate just how bad the FIU passing offense was last year. 123.4 yards per game. That ranks 124th uh, out of 129 FBS teams. The only teams who ranked lower than them were teams that did not run passing offense. They had three games. They had under 100 yards, two games under 80 yards. And yet, despite all of that, Devontae managed to rush for a buck 16.6 per game. Um, I can't remember. I think it was 581 he rushed for last year. If you, 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 if you if Devontae keeps his average over a 12-game stretch, he hits 1,494 yards, right? So, I mean, that just goes to show you how productive he was. I cannot sound the alarm more for him. Jim Nagy, you know, the director of the Reese Senior Bowl, just recently shouted him out and, and, and kind of gave him some praise and saying that he could be a guy to keep an eye on uh, as a potential invite to the Senior Bowl. So definitely want to shout out Devontae Price. Let's take a trip over to Middle Tennessee. Listen, I don't know how you guys feel, but I think Middle Tennessee has some boom or bust potential. Here's why. Uh, this is one of my favorite stats. Since 2016, Middle Tennessee, the highest rusher, the most yards they've had from a running back, and Matt, I think you may remember this, I, I kind of led with this with uh, Rick Stockstill, was 617 yards, which was from Shaton Mobley in 2018. They have two straight years. With their leading rusher from the running back position, I want to make this clear, Asher O'Hara led the team with 1,000 yards in 2019 and a shade over 700 and change last year. But their leading rusher in 2019 from the running back was Terrell West with 233 yards in a full 13-game season or a full 12-game season. And last year, Tom Mobley only had 318 yards in uh, it was a 9 or 10-game year. So the shift away from everything running through Asher O'Hara and them going back to a more traditional pro-style offense with Bailey Hockman. They've got talented playmakers at receiver and at running back. Amir Rasul, Florida State transfer. Martel Petway, West Virginia transfer. Definitely interested to see what happens there because if you look at the safeties, Greg Great, Reed Blankenship, those are two guys that you know every CSA team would love to have in their secondary. And then when you go out west, I think the most pivotal player, the most pivotal combo in the west, UAB offensive coordinator Bryant Benson and UAB quarterback Tyler Johnson III. Here is why. Anybody who watches football, you know, you don't have to necessarily be a, a statistical genius to know this, but anybody who watches football knows that you you want to complete in today's football in today's football, you know, passing game, at least 60% of your passes. And I and I understand, you know, if you, if you get to the, the collegiate level, you're probably looking for that to be higher, but UAB's Tyler Johnson, over his career, has a completion percentage of 52%. That in itself is troubling. Then when you look at the TD to interception, the, the TD to INT ratio, 35 touchdowns to 24 interceptions, if memory serves me correct, that isn't very good. So now when you look at it, you break this down, and you ask yourself, is this a Tyler Johnson issue? No, because you can go back and look at Brian Vincent's offense even prior with Tyler Johnson being the quarterback, it's been boom or bust. Uh, they're averaging, when you look at the yards per attempt, Tyler Johnson's averaging 9.2 yards per attempt, which means he's pushing the ball downfield. Why is this super interesting to me, guys? And I'm going heavy football nerd here, but they've had one of the best running backs and best running games in Conference USA with Spencer Brown and Dwayne McBride over the past three years. So you're telling me, in theory, that they're ending up in a lot of 
second and fours, you know, second and fives, third and manageable, third and shorts. And they still are completion percentage is around 52%. I got the numbers here. I just pulled pretty quickly. Um, last, okay. So the last three years, this completion percentage hasn't topped 58%. And then it, you know, 35 touchdowns, 25 interceptions. If they can just at least stabilize the passing game. I don't know how you guys feel, you know, being out there in the West, but everything else is there for UAB to take the division again. I know that's not necessarily what you guys or, you know, uh, other fans of Conference USA West teams want to hear, but in my opinion, it's that combo that will be the difference between UAB legitimately, you know, just making the way to another division title or opening the door for a Rice, a UTSA, a La Tech. So those are things I would absolutely want to touch on pretty quick. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And you mentioned that that's the flaw, right? In, in UAB, it, it's it's been the quarterback play and and the weapons on offense outside of the receiving game. They're kind of starting over there. We don't have to get too far down uh, on that tangent. But but that's interesting. I, I I was not expecting to hear Tyler Johnston's name picked as a uh, a potential dark horse for for Lee. Oh, 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 real quick, I did not hit on those. I'm, I'm not picking Tyler Chaz as a dark horse. I, I, I think you would, but <laughs> let me, I'll, let me clean up in 30 seconds. Um, I guess a dark horse for, for uh, offensive MVP. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm buying, I'm buying pretty heavily in, in terms of, um, let's take, let's take a flyer on. You know what? Let's, let's keep the theme of the, of, of the podcast. I'll go Bailey Zappi. Because I, I think he has a legit chance to push. Um, who my pick would be is Sincere McCormick for offensive and league MVP. And defense MVP, I'm going with D'Angelo Malone. But Dark Horse guys, Rashad Wisdom, UTSA. And listen, I am a huge fan. I hope this guy racks up a ton of numbers. Treshawn Chamberlain. I would love yeah. to see him. I would love to see him have 80 something, 90 tackles, uh, five and a half, six sacks, couple interceptions and forced fumbles. Huge, huge Trayshawn Chamberlain fan. In my opinion, pound for pound, top 10, 15 player in CUSA. You're invited back. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a huge Trayshawn Chamberlain. I, I love, love the way they use him. I actually was just getting in a debate with a good friend of mine, Shane Marinelli, formerly of the FAU Owls, and now runs the Owls 247 rival site. And, uh, you know, he's sounding the alarm for every FAU player in the world and how they're so great and steady other. And, and I was in, in a, in such a, a CUSA debate, uh, debating between him and Amon Ross. And I just was telling him, like, dude, like, uh, that, that's, that's, that's fine. But listen, Treshawn Chamberlain camp all day. He's earned his respect. So definitely want to see him succeed. I love it, man. That's great. Yeah. We, we love to have, uh, we love to be pandered to on this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think you're right about, about Johnson and UAB because I mean, this is kind of what, this is what they do, what their offense has been. Like they, they run the ball a ton and then they're basically their entire passing game is deep shots off play action. And, you know, that's what leads you to a low completion percentage. That's what leads you to, um, you know, a lot of touchdowns and a lot of interceptions. And the scary part is that they've, been able to over like it hasn't mattered for them because they've been so good in every other area but when they've lost has been those games where Johnson goes out and throws three four interceptions and he's had a ton of those like as, as Evan Dudley has told us when he's been on the podcast but if they can just tighten that stuff up a little bit with him um then you know as, as much as we talk about the tightness of this con like they could that can push them to a whole new level, which is is kind of scary to think about as good as they've been the last couple of years. 
un, undoubtedly. And, and love the Evan Dudley shout out. My man, Evan Dudley. <laughs> the, 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 the true, the renaissance man of Conference USA beat writers. <laughs> I'm sure he has shared some stories on this pod. Oh, yeah. We had Komodo Dragon session uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, man. Between between him and, uh, you know, Corey Diaz, who departed for South Carolina, those two are the, uh, the true renaissance men of, uh, of Conference USA beat writers. <laughs> All right, so we will we will close you all out and, and and on the lightning round we'll make it somewhat somewhat easy on you, um, but we'll open it up. So I don't know if you've played this yet or not, but you know, first answer off the top of your head, no right answers, but we will tell you if you're wrong. Uh, does that sound good? Sounds good. I don't believe I have, so I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> all right, here we go. So uh, teeing off easy. Who leads Conference USA in touchdowns? Sincere McCormick. All right. How about sacks? D'Angelo Malone. All right. Best mascot in Conference USA. I'm going to tell you the worst is Big Red. That's by far. <laughs> Big Red is not like They got to vote, vote for the best. We said mascot, not Lovecraftian horror. <laughs> exactly. Best mascot. Uh, hmm. You said first name from the top of my head. Uh, yeah, um, um, Norm the Niner. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. That's a new one. I that's I, I like this. This is good. We're getting everybody out here. All right. Um, what player is not going to be a preseason All Conference selection, but they should be. Well, if you guys remember correctly, Conference USA chose to not do preseason All Conference because they wanted to do a watch list. How uh, unique of them. Um. <laughs> so so really, I could I could just pick any name, but I won't because I get you know in the spirit of the question. Um, can I give you two names? Uh, yeah. Brad, you said all all conference, so like first team or just at all, like first or second team, whatever. One, two. We had we had a third string tight end mentioned. So uh, okay. <laughs> um, give me give me two names. I'm gonna pander some more. Brad Rosner. Definitely looking forward to the return of Brad Rosner. And uh, another one. Let's go with oh, who's coming to mind right now. Um. DeAndre Torrey, North Texas. I, I I think I think he's good. All right, that, that's a, that's another a, a good good one. He he's talented. If we can get him on the field enough, um, and then yeah, your pick your pick for the West. My pick for the West. I picked UTSA to win the entire conference. So I'm gonna stick with that. And then the East. Picks Florida Atlantic. So I'm gonna stick with that as well. And your champion is drum roll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This will upset the folks in Boca. I am going with UTSA. Wow. The the UTSA hype outside of San Antonio is starting to reach a fever pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I, I mean, listen, I just think when you, in terms of Spencer Burford, huge fan of him. I mean, I think he is a hell of an offensive lineman. Yeah, just run down the names. Sincere McCormick. If Frank Harris can stay healthy, but guess what? They've got some solid backups. We look at Lowell Narcisse. And Josh Adkins, the former North, North New Mexico, the former New Mexico State starter. Um, so they have experience at the back of quarterback position. Trevor Harmonson, Lorenzo Dantzler, um, I'm forgetting the other kid there, the defensive tackle. Um, I, I just saw his name earlier today. I'm sorry uh, if you listen to this because I, I, you, I think you're a hell of a player. Um, um, Antonio Parks, um, <laughs> Antonio Parks in the secondary. Uh, Zachary Franklin, the list goes on. Jalen Haynes is a defensive lineman I'm thinking about. 
Yeah. Um, they, uh, you know, even the specialists, Lucas D, they're pretty loaded. And that's why I'm going with UTSA. All right. I like it. And then we'll close you out on this. Uh, at any point during this year, is there going to be a Conference USA team in the top 15? Mm. My, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I, I was torn. But you I wanted mean, to. I wanted to because, I mean, listen, I didn't even expect Marshall to, to make it. But quite frankly, I think a return to hopefully, fingers crossed, a little more of a, of a uh, normal, <laughs> for lack of a better word, college football season and that we don't have, you know, games canceled and this team and that team and this and the other. Uh, I do not think top 15. I do think there will be one or potentially two in the top 25 at some point in time, but I won't say top 15. Yeah, I could see that. That, that doesn't sound like too far of a stretch. But top 15 is hard to do. I mean, listen, if, when you, if you really want to take an objective look at it, I think the American is going to be the G5 conference this year. And, and that in no way is me being a, a homer as, of course, uh, an alumnus of the finest university this nation has to offer, the University of Central Florida. But I do believe that between Cincy and UCF, you're probably going to have two teams right there that are not from the G5 ranks that are probably going to push, you know, for uh top 25 and then of course they'll play so they'll you know cancel one of each other out but i, I just think it, it, it's gonna be a little tough with some of the other g5 leagues in terms of, and then look at the sunbelt you know you got uh, louisiana you got coastal carolina coming back liberty they had i mean talk about a cupcake schedule that they have <laughs> i mean they, they are primed to, to just take off so i think it'll be tough for CUSA in that regard yeah i mean we'll see and the good news is we don't have to wait too much longer now that we're T minus, what did you say, 24, 24, 24 some odd days? 24 days? I'll take it, man. Yeah. Past. As far as I can tell. <laughs> but that was always fun. Thanks to uh, to run through that and, and, and talking around with us. No, Matt, no problem, man. It was always a pleasure to come on and uh, join you guys again. Uh, and I mean this sincerely. This is not just you know me, uh, you know, because of you guys inviting me on. I, I've always enjoyed the podcast since you know, even before the first time you guys had me on. Always enjoyed the season preview, and you guys do you know hell of a job. Not just folks on Rice, but all of Conference USA in general. So this is always one of my favorite pods to come on. And you know, I, I wish we were in conference so I could do this you know yearly or in division, I should say. But uh, always appreciate the time you guys. All right. Well. Uh... Uh, thanks for coming on with us uh, again. Uh, let the people know where they can find you. No doubt. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find my FIU and Conference USA coverage, including my top 50 players in Conference USA list. That'd be dropping. Wink, wink. That's a tease. At underdogdynasty.com. At underdogdynasty on Twitter. Underdog Dynasty, SB Nation's home for group of five football coverage. And last but not least, Showable pod for FAU, FIU coverage, and coming up, you know, pretty regularly since we're in the season, uh, weeklies on Mondays, uh, 560 WQAM, South Florida, find me Monday night, somewhere between six and eight, talking CUSA football. Uh, well, all right. Uh, be sure to check out Eric's stuff, uh, on those various <laughs> platforms. Uh, thanks to everybody for, uh, sticking with us. Thanks again to Eric for hopping on with us. Uh, we'll be back next week and Bryce fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.